So Mayo, since we recorded last, we've gotten not one, but two new betas of iOS 17.2. iOS 17.2 beta 2 was last Thursday, pretty much right after we stopped recording. And the big thing here is iPhone 15 Pro, you can now take spatial photos and videos for Vision Pro. So this for is in the settings app under camera, under formats. There's a new toggle for enabling recording spatial video. Then you bounce back to the camera app, you swipe over to video, and there's a new little like Vision Pro icon, kind of like the icon that appears for 3D movies like we talked about last week. Mm. And you tap that, turn your phone horizontal, and then you're taking spatial video that you can watch later on Vision Pro. So obviously this is 15 Pro exclusive because of the camera layout, right? So they put the ultra-wide and standard camera horizontal when you're holding your phone in landscape. Um, so on my phone, which is a 14 Pro, I can't actually use this feature. So I do have one clarifying question for you to start with. So you turn on the format for the Vision Pro mode, right, in the set. Correct. Then you go mm-hmm. to video tab in the camera app. So at that point, then, is that little, like, vision symbol always there? And you can just toggle into it and toggle out of it. Yep, you tap on it. It's right next to the the lens button. So you tap it, turns on. And then all the other cool. controls disappear, obviously, because you can't customize yes. anything else. Okay, but you can't change anything else. That includes like adjusting like lighting and brightness and contrast controls. You press the button to record in spatial video, and that's all you can do. Yeah. So although you have to toggle it on in the settings, you don't have to like go back and forth to settings app every single time to if you want to right. take a video. Yeah. Like it's just a toggle that appears there conditionally and if you go in then if you turn it on or off it changes the mode of the camera. Kind of like live photos disabling or enabling, right? For the main yeah. for the main uh, or action mode. mode. Or action, action mode is a good mode. yeah, that's yeah. a better example. Um and so yeah, and like you said it only records uh, in one set format which is 1080p at 30 frames per second and only in landscape mode. Uh, I, I presume the resolution limit is a just the fact of the way that it's working with the lenses because it's combining the main sensor with the ultra-wide. And yeah. so it probably does like a sensor crop on the ultra-wide. And obviously you're limiting there on what resolution you get. And then also there must be like machine learning data fusion of bringing those two streams together to give the depth effect. So similar to how cinematic mode started off as 1080p, it's probably similar processing limits here. And it's one minute equals 130 megabytes, which is big for 1080p, but not that bad in comparison to what people are used to at 60 frames per second, 4K. Yeah, I think it's even less than 30 frames per second, 4K, just because the. Is it? Yeah, yeah probably. It's different. And it produces a like MVHEVC file format, which is not proprietary, but not right. a common standard. So, like, at least it's available there in a format that other apps could theoretically interpret and understand as of right now there isn't really anything that can do it apple's own final cut pro on the mac or ipad i guess can't even interface with it at all the only way to like trim a spatial video is through the camera app on your iphone or eventually on vision pro itself but apple says support for editing spatial video is coming to final cut pro next year which is fair enough and actually if you do move it move a spatial video to your mac and like mess with it in any way it converts it to a normal 2D 1080p video. It just so. loses the other layer. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Um, and I guess, so I guess you've taken a couple of spatial videos, but you don't really know what they look like because you can't yeah. preview it back on the phone in any way or anything like that. When you preview it on the phone, it looks just like 
a normal video. There's no depth yeah. or anything to it. But Apple did invite some lucky people to try it out. I think just three press people were invited. There was John Gruber, Scott Stein at CNET, and Joanna Stern, the Wall Street Journal. It seems like these they got invited to like go to a sushi restaurant in New York with Apple. <laughs> and they took some spatial videos on an iPhone 15 Pro, then watched it back on a Vision Pro. One of the notable things here is this is the second time now that some members of the press have gotten to try Vision Pro. Uh, yeah, and you were in the first batch? I was in the first batch, but not the second not batch. The second. I mean, the second batch was clearly much, much smaller. Yeah. But all three of those people had pretty positive things to say about how it worked. John Gerber did say, like, the video looks kind of grainy, particularly, like, when you look at it closely because it is 1080p. And you're looking at it, and you're looking at it big, right? Like, right, exactly. On the Vision yeah. Pro, the idea is you can have an infinitely large screen or as big as your eyes can see, right? Like eighty inches, hundred inches across, effectively. And so, any video that's 1080p blown up to that big will not look yeah. the sharpest. It'll be the same for um, FaceTime as well. Like, you know, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a reason why they show the FaceTime demos with like a, a square you know pop out rectangle that's kind of floating in your space. They don't want you to zoom it up to full screen because it will look not great uh you're gonna really need 4k content yeah spatial videos too are like square you know like mm. at least in most of the examples apple shown is they're squared in front of you it's not wide like a it's not 16 by 9 yeah and also what you have to remember is with a spatial video it's not um immersive 3d and that you can like step into it and look to the side like right. the perspective's fixed it's 3d like a 3d movie is where you're just getting like left right separation so objects in the foreground of seem closer to for, you know closer to you than objects in the background but it's not like you can it's not like a 3d rendered environment where you could like tilt from side to side and see a different angle on the same scene it's going to be the same like 2d perspective at all times which is part of the reason why they do want you they do use that ui to frame it because they don't want to like yeah fake a immersive environment when, when it isn't actually there and by just making it as like a smaller pop-up window people are less likely to like notice where the illusion actually breaks down by you know moving to the side or whatnot during these demos apple let the people watch the video they took on the iphone 15 pro and then also showed them one spatial video that was taken on vision pro itself and john gruber said that it was hard to tell a difference and he's not actually sure if he could tell a difference which probably bodes well for the 1080p aspect of this but maybe also says a little bit about the camera quality of the vision pro because you would think that a video you took on Vision Pro itself would be noticeably better, just given the hardware of it. But it sounds like that's not the case. Yeah, I don't think which we, is, they've ever actually released full specs for those cameras. No, they just said I don't there's think like so. twelve of them or whatever. But I, they don't think on if you like if you look on the specs page, it doesn't list out the megapixels or where, how you know the aspect ratio or anything. So we don't fully know yet. Um. And the, the you know the three people you mentioned weren't allowed to take a video on the Vision Pro. They were only allowed to take it on the iPhone and then play it back in the Vision Pro experience. And the benefit, obviously, of taking these videos now is that if you buy Vision Pro next year, you'll have like a catalog of videos you can go back and relive and watch through. So your library doesn't start when you get Vision Pro. I mean, you, you obviously got a demo of a spatial video in your june demo right like they it was just a pre-recorded yeah. clip you didn't record it yourself no and i think you said it was very impactful right if because and it th- was they showed you the ba- the birthday sequence there was the birthday sequence and there was a campfire one so it was like a group of friends sitting around a 
campfire outdoors and like at night so it was dark that see i think that's the video that apple showed people again last week during these demos yeah they mentioned campfire yeah it's i walked away with the impression that it's one of the best features of vision pro with the qualifier at the time being that you had to wear vision pro to take those videos but now we know that you don't have to actually do that which makes the feature even better i think like removing that barrier of capturing that content is a big big thing and especially now that we know apparently the quality is pretty good at least comparable to what you get when you take them with vision pro yeah the only question i have is like you know photos and videos obviously live in your own library but then they have a second life in many cases when you share them on social media and stuff and you get like other people right you know instagram of photos is you know propelled by people's you know snapshots of people's own personal libraries uh is the same kind of ecosystem going to grow around the vision pro you know spatial video stuff like will instagram make a vision pro app and then will they let you upgrade uh, upload a 3d video so you can see other people's or will it be like a individual private affair and you also have to remember to go in and tap that button to actually enable the spatial video mode so on one hand, you're getting the spatial video for Vision Pro, but you're also compromising the video you get now of that moment. And going forward, that memory will only be at the lower quality. So you're going to have like a grab bag effect, a grab bag of videos on your phone, some of which are good quality at 4K and some of which are these spatial videos that when you look back and watch them on your iPhone, you'll probably be able to tell that they're lower quality. Yeah. I mean, eventually that limitation will be lifted, right? Just like how cinematic video, it started at 1080, now it supports 4K. Whether it'll be future hardware with, you know, lenses dedicated to record this or just software improvements and processing improvements, eventually you'll be able to record 4K spatial too. There's nothing like inherent in the way they're doing it that prevents it. It's just a limitation of the current situation. Um, But I still think people will do it. Um, At least I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know if you'll do it like every day of the week but for special moments or like stuff you can imagine like taking a couple minute clip in a spatial video format and then recording the rest of the birthday in just a normal video anyway like mm-hmm. i think it will be at least at the beginning um smaller mementos like that rather than like you're going to record literally everything this way uh but it sounds compelling for sure is this are you doubting your decision not to upgrade to the iphone 15 pro because of this You'll be I at mean, a I'm not really planning on getting a Vision Pro at the moment either, so I'm not like... Not right away, but eventually. Eventually, eventually. I don't know. We'll... It's one of those nagging things in your head, right? But like... Yeah. You can't upgrade hardware just for future potential every single time. I didn't change from recording from 1080 to 4K for years after I even had a phone <laughs> that could record at 4K just because the file sizes were huge. Um, So... You know, you take it slow. When you eventually get around to it, it's cool. But it definitely feels like, to me, like the um, the spatial videos will start out like Polaroids were in their heyday, where it's like special events and yeah. you take a Polaroid shot. Uh, and then, you know, you have traditional cameras for the to, to fill out the rest. Um, but for special moments, I mean, sure, spatial video should be very impressive. But yeah, I guess it's one of those things where I'm like, well, I won't be shooting any spatial video this year. <laughs> Just save all of your exciting moments for next year. Delay everything. And this, this press, um, this press, you know, cabal with these three, followed by the one in June, does kind of gel with what we said. Where you know, when they did the June unveiling, they were going to have more across the year to keep people excited, to keep people buzzing along. This is a good, yeah. good excuse for them to do that, right? Um, 
and to give a personal uh, demo. I presume there will be another one in like January or February, either doing another preview or it'll be at the time when they're announcing the launch date for the actual product. So, yeah. Um, this is just the the continuation of the of the roadmap for the rollout of this thing and press. And Apple, you have my phone number if you want to invite me to demo at some point. We'll see about that. Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by Pillow. Pillow is the best sleep tracking app for your Apple Watch, iPhone, or iPad to help you uncover the scientifically proven benefits of good sleep. Go to pillow.app and use promo code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription to Pillow Premium. Sleep better with Pillow, your smart sleep assistant. Pillow analyzes your sleep cycles automatically using your Apple Watch, or if you don't have a watch, you can place your iPhone or iPad on the mattress near your pillow. Pillow will automatically detect and analyze your sleep patterns, and you can review last night's sleep report right on your watch with heart rate analysis and more. Pillow uses an advanced sleep cycle analysis algorithm based on the latest scientific findings in sleep research. You can view detailed heart rate graphs and a sleep stage diagram that shows how you transition from being awake to REM, light sleep, and deep sleep stages. And Pillow integrates with the Apple Health app to update your sleep metrics in the health database as well. You can even use Pillow as a smart alarm clock that aims to wake you up at a time when you are in the lightest possible sleep stage so you can start your day fresh and relaxed. Record noises of the night so you can hear things like snoring, sleep apnea, and sleep talking. Simply put, Pillow is the best sleep tracker for your Apple Watch, iPhone, and iPad. And exclusively for Happy Hour listeners, you can use offer code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription of Pillow Premium. That's offer code HAPPYHOUR23 to get 30% off an annual subscription. Find out more at pillow.app. Pillow.app. Pillow. It's sleeping better made simple. Thanks to Pillow for sponsoring the show. So other things in iOS 17 beta 2 and beta 3. One interesting change is that now with inline text predictions, which is the new feature in iOS 17 where it'll basically try to autocomplete your sentences as you type them, you can now disable that but without disabling the predictive text feature that appears above your keyboard. Yeah, so you're basically getting rid of the inline predictions that appear in the text box. But before, that was all housed over one combined setting called predictive that would turn off the bar of three options, right, that appears directly above the keyboard. Now you have separate settings, so you can still have the three options uh, to, like, tap on or to have the, you know, the the autocomplete quick type bar, but you don't have to have the somewhat distracting inline predictions that aren't the most useful thing in the whole world no because it's only like it's not very good it's like two or three yeah, words only at a time like one or two words yeah. at a time yeah so if you're if you're a fast typer generally it kind of gets in the way i think if you type more slowly there's definitely some use to it because if you do see a, a prediction you want to fill like if there's two words there rather than typing out the two words you can just press the space bar and keep going but if you're a fast typer on the phone or on the desktop, because it also happens on the Mac, um, Mm -hmm. it's probably something you want to disable. I think I complained about this when we did our iOS 17 like release episode, so I'm glad that they added this option. Yeah, I think you did, yeah. (laughs) Because at the time, I didn't know that the two options were tied together, and I said I was going to go turn them off, and you quickly pointed out to me that that was impossible unless I wanted to also lose the three words. Because the three words are useful, like above the keyboard. I like that. But I do not like the inline text prediction. For Apple Music, they have 
continued advancements for the new favorites feature. So now there's a new toggle. You can automatically add songs to your library when you add them to your favorites playlist. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And it's separate from the other toggle that lets you that enables adding songs to your library when you add them to any playlist. Yes. And now when you star a song, you can add it directly to your library, um, which is quite handy because like if you're browsing a catalog and you you want to if you're starring it there's a good chance you want to add it to your library as well yeah um so you can turn that on and then it'll automatically add it to both places because they have it with playlist songs so if you add a song to a playlist you can use this setting to also add it to your library and not just live in the playlist on its own um but now they have that for the favorite songs as well i'm not sure if i'll use it but i get why it's there i think a lot for a lot of people they want it to work that way so they just want the things to you know both the library and your favorites or your playlist to be synchronized. Uh, so that's why the settings there. The dynamic bubbles wallpaper is back. Yeah. I didn't actually know this until I looked at the notes this morning. Yeah, there but you I go. guess this is something people have been rather annoyed about for when did they take them out? It's been a while, hasn't it? I think I think it was gone in 17.0. Okay, yeah. It was in like iOS 16 it kind of half worked. And then, like, it was weird. They, they, th- this is the original dynamic wallpaper that was launched right, with iOS yeah. seven. You know, the the originally it was just blue bubbles, and your phone, you could rotate your phone, and it would move the bubbles around. Um, and then it kind of got left and like never abandoned for a while. And then when the iPhone ten came out, they added like a dark version for OLED blacks. So it was like multicolored but circles, but the background was dark. And then there were a few other color options, but then it basically just sat there unchanged for years and years and years. They broke it a couple of times. They brought it back <laughs> uh, when they did the you know the lock screen wallpaper redesign stuff. It did survive, but it was a bit glitchy or whatever for a while. Then they fixed that. And then iOS 17.0 came out and it was gone entirely. So you just <laughs> couldn't use that wallpaper you wanted to. And if you had it set as your wallpaper after you updated, your, your screen would just be gray. Like your wallpaper would just be a gray color because it couldn't render the actual oh, wallpaper. Good. Uh, I presume it was just like a weird omission they didn't realize they'd accidentally got rid of um, because now it's back exactly as it was before. So if you really like that wallpaper, you can get it again in 17.2. Perfect encapsulation of the mess of iOS wallpapers, particularly since they changed how you set them with all the new lock screen stuff. WatchOS, another thing they took out with WatchOS 10 this year, you can now swipe between faces again from the watch face thanks to watchOS 10.2 beta 3. Yeah, this is an opt-in setting, so you have to choose to do it, uh, which I think leads credence to the explanations why it was taken out, which is that some people were doing it accidentally. Um, Mm -hmm. So now it's off by default, and it's like a swipe. You know, there's a setting under clock settings, which is swipe to change faces, and you turn that back on, and the gesture is essentially the same as it was before. You swipe from the left edge or the right edge of the screen, and you can quickly change between faces something i've been wanting like i very very rarely have accidentally had the face change by inadvertent swipes and i've used that feature a lot like i have a i basically have two watch faces one is like the the daytime face which has like activity rings on it and the weather and you know it's more data centric and information and then i have a second watch face which is what i generally put on like evenings and stuff which is just um analog clock and nothing you know no distractions so that's like the more like i don't know like refined kind of dress face as it were and then you have like the utility face for the most of the day yeah and i never really set for a while i experimented with like automatic um shortcuts to change the faces 
uh, you know, based on like time of day and stuff. But that never really worked well enough for me because there's too many exceptions where you know my daily life isn't a strict routine so it would be it would just not be able to intelligently do it for me so i just turned that off and i was um up until i was until watch was 17 i was just you know flicking the things around or watch was 10 stupid numbers um i was just flicking you know left <laughs> right faces then i was basically resigned to having to long press and then swipe which is a lot slower and not very nice so i'm very happy that they brought this back and the toggle is on the watch itself. It's not in the watch app on your iPhone. So if you're looking for it and you can't find it, like I was last night, <laughs> settings app on the watch, then clock, then swipe to switch watch face, the toggle there. Yeah, that, that might just be a um, beta thing where they haven't updated yeah. the watch app yet to include the setting. But yeah, at least right now it's only available from the watch itself. In macOS Sonoma 14.2 beta 2, there's now an option in system settings to add Shazam to your menu bar and or control center. This is pretty cool. It's like three years after they added the Shazam widget for control center on iPhone. But now you can have it on your Mac in the menu bar or in control center. And when you click in the menu bar, it's actually kind of cool. It shows you a history of your recognized music. You can click on it to take you right to the music app. Or you can click separately and it'll take you to the Shazam website with other data and information about about tagging the song. Works pretty well. Have you have you enabled it, Mayo? I don't run the Mac OS beta. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm a TVOS, watchOS phone beta. I leave the Mac unperturbed. I don't know how common it is to like Shazam music on your Mac. <laughs> the, the iPhone's obviously the bigger the most common place people use Shazam, but I guess the music history aspect of it is cool. Yeah, and that syncs across your devices. So if you yes, it does. If you've scanned on your phone, you come home and then you click on the menu bar. You can carry on listening from there. The thing I'm waiting for them to do with Shazam, which I thought was going to be one of their like big objectives since they acquired it back in like 2018, mm-hmm. was to copy the Google feature and um, that they have on the Google Pixel. At least they did have for a while, where if you just leave the phone dormant, like a, a Google Pixel dormant, it will just ambiently recognize music that's playing in the room and just collect that for you so that when you do next unlock your phone it has a history of stuff that's been played around you and obviously it's done in you know apple could do it in a privacy preserving way blah 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 blah, blah. just like how they listen for like weight words and stuff it's just you know analyzing Mm -hmm. music signatures in the air and just gives you a on-device playlist of everything that's been played around you because so many times like shazamming's a really nice feature that exists but a lot of the time you're just out and about and like a song plays and you're like, oh, that's a nice song. But then it's not really a socially um, acceptable environment to like whip your phone and be like, detect this, hold your phone up for a while yeah. and then click that, you know, do you know what I mean? So like the yeah. uh, the appeal of the, the Pixel feature has always been pretty strong for me. It's like, you know, if I'm in a car and somebody else is playing some music through the radio and the phone just hears it, well, at the end of the day, I come back home and then it's just sitting there waiting for me. It's like, do you want to add this one? And you can press yes or no. Um, so, and uh, when Shazam was acquired by Apple, there was like rumors they were actively working on a feature just for that, um, like internally, like they got patterns for it and stuff, but it's never come, had the light of day. And that was like five years ago now. Anything else in these betas? I mean, we're probably getting pretty close to a release, probably after Thanksgiving. Yeah, probably like first in week early of December, December or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing I'll mention on the Apple TV, uh, they've changed uh, it slightly oh for boy. when you're watching a trailer you know like if you before you watch like amplitude plus show it shows like it basically does like a promotional 
trailer for something else that you might be interested oh, yeah. in. Well, before, mm-hmm. like, a lot of people kind of want a setting where you could just, like, disable all that. And they just want to go straight into the show and ignore the recap, ignore the intro, ignore the promotional bit. That setting doesn't exist, so... Uh, tough uh, but what they have done is made a slightly better experience uh, on the latest betas where before it would just be like skip so if you saw a trailer for something that was upcoming it would just say skip like that would that be the button in the corner so you could either wait the 30 mm-hmm. seconds for the trade to end or you could skip it but say you were interested in what they're promoting to you it wasn't very useful because like you'd see the ad but then you just have to remember yourself to manually go and find it afterwards after you've watched what you've clicked on uh, in the latest beta they now have a dedicated button for that while you're watching the trailer so instead of just saying skip it has skip and then it has add so and if you press add it adds it to your up next queue and then just carries on oh that's cool yeah so if you actually are interested in what they're promoting to you now there's like a you know a 21st century <laughs> feature of just being able to add it to your queue and keep going um, and it has like a little logo of the show in that corner now too above the buttons mm. which is always a thing that annoy me because like Let's say you're watching a, one of these promotional trailers. They wouldn't tell you what the name of the show was to the very, very end. So you'd have to watch like the whole 30 seconds just to know what the name of it was before you could carry on. Uh, but now it always has the logo in the corner and you can just press add if you want, if you are interested in it. If you're not interested in it, you can carry on pressing skip like you did before. Last week, we talked about Bloomberg's report that Apple had paused new feature development for iOS 18 for a week. And there was kind of a narrative that emerged that this was going to be a snow leopard style year for iOS 18. No new features, all bug fixes, but that's not the case. I think last week Mark Gurman had kind of had kind of addressed that on Twitter, but then in his Power On newsletter on Sunday, Mark said that Apple has internally referred to iOS 18 as being quote ambitious and compelling. The idea is that it'll apparently ship with major new features and designs along with significant improvements to performance and security. The thing we've heard most is like all the AI features coming to as many aspects of iOS as possible. But other than that, I don't think we really know what can be ambitious and compelling about iOS 18. Yeah, but it's, I mean, if you, if you are it, embedding AI stuff like across the system, that is pretty ambitious. So yeah, that is, yeah. That would unfill the ambitious and compelling description. Because <laughs> uh, I think the last, you know... Obviously, there's been improvements every single year, but the last one that really stands out in a big way was when they added widgets, like home screen widgets. Yeah. And then to slightly lesser extent when they did the lock screen, you know, the dynamic lock screen stuff. Um, but I think widgets had a bigger impact on people because most people I see, they you know, they, they carry on just having the same wallpaper they've always had. So like even though the system is a lot more complicated and a lot more advanced now and you have a lot more options, I don't really see people using custom you know, the, the dynamic wallpapers that much, the modern dynamic wallpapers that much. Don't really see people using like lock screen widgets that often. But home screen widgets seem fairly popular. And obviously they were a huge phenomenon when they debuted, uh, which I think was 2020. That was iOS 14. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, so that the was COVID like a perfect year. storm of like a pretty big update combined with everybody stuck at home. So like it kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, was a good mix there that produced a, a bit of a craze for a while. I was thinking about that when I was writing this story. Before, it's only been three years since home screen widgets were added, which feels like a really long time. But then also it's crazy to think that in 2019, which doesn't feel that long ago, the iOS home screen was still just a grid of apps. And completely static. (laughs) Yeah. Widgets came and just took over. Like For the longest time, my argument was like the Apple Watch from the first version, the clock face of the Apple Watch is equivalent to like the wallpaper on the iPhone. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's dynamic. You've had photo albums with changing pictures. You could put complications on there, which had dynamic information, essentially the equivalent of widgets. That was since 2015. And until 2020, the iPhone was like completely static. And then with 2020, they added widgets, which was nice. Then they followed up with the lock screen overhaul, which allows you to have like Apple Watch style features, like a photo album shuffling around. And now in the mm-hmm. most recent release, you have interactive widgets, which allow you to have you know, some basic button presses for like checking off reminders or home widgets, which I use quite a lot. I just have like a, a, widget, a stack of widgets for lights in the house and you can just scroll through them and tap them from the home screen, turn your lights on and off. It's really, really nice. But yeah, literally you only go back four years and none of that was possible on the iPhone. So yeah, iOS 14 was pretty ambitious and compelling. <laughs> And nothing since then really, everything since then, like there's been changes, there's been good changes, there's been some bad changes, but like even lock screen widgets, interactive widgets, it's all just been an iteration on what came with iOS 14 first. Yeah, and if you asked a normal person, like what was the biggest change to your phone and you, that you can recall, I don't think people are going to be picking up like focus mode kind of things like it's just not it's just not really the mainstream that's the thing right like they've done a lot of stuff but a lot of the stuff they've done in the last couple of years has been more niche like targeted yeah in terms of like this mm-hmm. is really useful if you care about this this and this the the home screen widgets was something that really kind of impacts everybody from the super enthusiast you know geeky person like us to just a random mainstream user who just wants to put a photo on their you know a rotating photo on the home screen uh, whether that's from the photos widget and like the official app or using any of the you know widget smith or any of the third party stuff um that blo- blossomed at that time uh, so yeah we'll see what ambitious and compelling actually comes out to uh it can't just they like i'm sure they're obviously working hard on the ai kind of side but even so if if you started working on ai features this year right. how much are you actually going to have ready to go in the very next year's release is would be one of my open questions so i feel like they also have to must have other stuff on the cards that is also in development like you know okay let me put it a different way go to november 2022 right so just before the big boom of chat gpt and stuff this year that happened this year Mm -hmm. they must have already had plans for what they were going to do for ios 18 right and so what's happened to that stuff maybe that maybe it was ambitious and compelling even before any of the ai stuff came into the into the mix like I, I'm pretty skeptical that if they only just started on AI stuff at the beginning of this year, as it does seem they've been caught slightly flat-footed, or at least, you know, they, they're they not on the cutting yeah. edge of it. Mm-hmm. How much are they actually going to have ready to go in a year's time? I feel like they'd prioritize like Siri and stuff and maybe some specific features. But, you know, that Mark Gohm report that mentioned like, oh, you know, they're going to have like pages, Word document generation and numbers, like spreadsheets and like, you know, yeah. that stuff feels further out. So and that stuff's not tied to these releases either. True, like true. They can just release new versions of pages and all that. Yeah. Um even so like just they couldn't the equivalent of that but for the operating system itself. Yeah. To me it doesn't feel like they're going to be the timelines they journey work at don't aren't particularly con- conducive to having like a widespread rollout of AI in like every single one of their applications for the very next version of iOS. It would be like here's two or three big milestones that we've achieved in the first year and then we'll keep building on that you know with releases to come so i imagine the ambitious and compelling objective also applies to other software features it's not just the ai thing who knows what exactly because at the moment we're in the dark but i'm looking forward to it (laughs) yeah we'll see i i I think there's a real possibility that we get to april or may and there's another bloomberg report where 
Apple has scrapped its plans for AI and <laughs> iOS 18. Like, they might very well be right now thinking that they're going to add AI to X, Y, and Z in iOS 18. And then May, April, May rolls around and they're like, well, none of this stuff is ready to be shipped. Like, scrap it. That's where what you said about hopefully having other iOS 18 plans will come save the day. Yeah, exactly. Or we do just get a Snow Leopard style release. Who knows? But at least right now, it seems like they're aiming for something pretty big. Yeah. Probably not quite as big as like the iOS 6 to iOS 7 redesign, but much more significant than we've had for the last like three years, let's say. Yeah, Mark's wording of major new features and designs is kind of one of the things that stood out to me. Yeah, maybe that means like app redesigns more than like OS level overhaul. That's kind of how I read that. But I mean, who knows? We're just speculating at this point. Software leaks are hard. We probably won't know much for a while. Yeah, we don't really get a better picture about what to expect for the software stuff until like February, March kind of time frame. That's when German and other people have more concrete rumors around that stuff. Um, but especially if the AI stuff is uh, a big deal, a big factor this time, it'll be even, it'll be even more fluid. Because like you say, they might be working on AI stuff now and then it comes to March like, <laughs> this isn't ready to go. You know, we've hit an issue or we haven't been able to resolve this privacy problem or it's not reliable enough for answering these questions. So we're just going to defer it. That's that's one thing that Apple has never shied away from. They don't cave. Rarely do they cave to peer pressure of what other companies are doing. They definitely look at what other companies are doing and follow suit. But they're never like, if we don't ship this right here, right now, then we're doomed, right? They're like, we'll just yeah. keep on working on that for another cycle. They would be more, quote unquote, doomed if they did launch something and it was awful yeah. in comparison to everything else that's already out yeah. there. In general, they, 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 they act way more conservatively. Uh, than other big tech companies they aren't going to release a, a ai pin that projects things on your hand and in the demo <laughs> video have a bunch of incorrect factual information but yeah oh. <laughs> good old human happy hour this week is also brought to you by ladder if you're anything like me you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute dentists opticians appointments filing taxes that kind of stuff and You know, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. You know, I started needing glasses last year and that was a moment that hit me like, I'm getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you the peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. Ladder has no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. And Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. We didn't really talk about Apple's earnings at all, but one of the funny moments of the call with investors was somebody asked, 
why the iPad revenue was down <laughs> so significantly this quarter compared to the year ago. And Tim Cook's response was just literally like, yeah, we didn't release any new iPads in 2023. <laughs> so yeah, revenue's down, but we expect it to be better next year. Then this weekend, Ming-Chi Kuo kind of laid out the timeline for all of that. He says that in the first quarter of 2024, we'll get two new iPad Air models. So an update to the current one, then also a larger 12.9 inch. So this would be the first time that we have a big screen iPad Air and the first time we have two different versions of the iPad Air. I think it makes quite a bit of sense having a 12.9 inch iPad Air. Do you think, how do you think it kind of slots in the lineup? Because some people are like, oh, it's going to make the iPad lineup so much more confusing than it already is. But I don't, uh, I don't think, I think so. It's, I think it's fine. I think it's roughly equivalent to having two sizes of MacBook Air and then two sizes of MacBook yeah. Pro. It's just this is the iPad Air equivalent. And yet you do have the lower end iPad below that. So the lineup is slightly bigger than the Mac. But I wouldn't be surprised if they end up expanding the Mac lineup to also, you know, stratify to three separate categories at some point. So it feels about right to me. Like there are people who have a philosophical attachment to the old old Apple era, where you you remember yeah. Tim, um, you remember Steve Jobs doing the the quadrant, and you had one consumer and that was low end, and one consumer that was high, and then one pro that was low end, and then one thing that was pro, and you know targeting consumers and enterprises with basically four products, and that so you had like consumer desktop, consumer laptop, pro desktop, pro laptop. And yeah, back in those mm -hmm. days, that was great. And that was exactly what Apple needed. But that was a very different context for the company. Like, you can't survive just doing four products for your entire lifetime. It, it, the reason Jobs did that was because he was culling a product lineup of like 20. Like, you know, Apple had spiraled out of control into mania and was doing so much stuff that wasn't selling. And they, you know, they were 90 days in bankruptcy. Like, the, the priorities and the decision making needed back then is way different to today. And just mm -hmm. saying that, like, well, Tim Cook likes making a million models, making it really complicated, and it was way better than Steve Jobs' area is really simplifying the truth. Because, you know, you go from the mid-2000s forward, Jobs expanded the lineup. They had, you know, how many different versions of iPod did they have? How many different laptops did they offer? Uh, they had, you know, base model MacBook Pros that were still had CD drives during his era when they were making the switch to SSDs elsewhere. Like, all this stuff is way more complicated than just saying like it used to be it used to be the good old days and i think if you look at the context of modern apple having three categories of a product to make a lineup is not um is not ridiculous so having a base ipad and then a mid-range i.e what they call the ipad air right now and then you have the high-end ipad pro is like perfectly fine and mm -hmm. i would p potentially be tempted by a 12.9 inch ipad air because I, as we spoke on the show before, I still struggle to find productive uses of an iPad, right? Like, I like it for a video player. I like it for browsing social media and just enjoying the web and stuff. But, like, the iPad Pro products are very, very expensive. And if you're not doing... If you're not using them for your work, I find them hard to justify the price of. But I do like the big screen, right? So, yeah, if they had a 12.9-inch iPad Air, it's again, it's very similar to the argument for 15-inch MacBook Air. It's like... Maybe you can attract a segment of people that weren't interested in spending a thousand dollars on an iPad, but you know, six to seven hundred with a big, the same big screen you get on the big end model is compelling. And it also just generally follows the trajectory that the iPad's taken, where the screen sizes are creeping up and up and up. The original iPad Air was nine point seven inches, right? Then they did a ten point two, then they did a ten point five. Now we're at ten point nine, 
and it seems like next year we're going to have a 12.9. And the line, the lines will still be differentiated because the very, very best iPad displays will be on the Pro models. And as we're about to mention, the, the Pro models are going to get an even bigger display jump next year. And so the iPad Air slots in the middle, still using LCD, with, um, but it will now be in a bigger size. For the iPad Pro, Quo says second quarter of next year for a new version with OLED, a redesigned chassis of some sort, and presumably an M3 chip inside. Jumping back to the iPad Air, the rumor is that these iPad Pros with OLED are going to get even more expensive. So slotting in that more affordable 12.9-inch iPad Air makes even more sense when you when the delta between Air and Pro is going to increase. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, because OLED screens are going to be expensive. Possibly, yeah. I mean, if you do want to do the look at the competition, Samsung's been shipping price-competitive OLED tablets for a while. So, uh, again, some of this is Apple margin, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the iPad Pros get more expensive. I mean, the, the, the iPad Pro with mini LED was already $100 more than it used to be, right? Like before the yeah. mini LED. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they'll be reducing the price. So at the very least, it will still be at the high-end price range. Because mini LED for them was so expensive slash limited in yield that they only ever did it on the big size. So like, it, yeah. you know, it's, mini LED iPad Pro is only the 12.9. The 11-inch the is still the base, still the old, um, just plain LCD. Uh, and so, but it does seem like for the OLED lineup, they're going to be doing, putting on both sizes. So there's natural like price pressure just in doing that and just bringing the 11 inch up to a higher display spec. There was one supply chain report from the ELEC, which I don't know how much I trust this. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes. Yeah. They said the 11 inch iPad Pro with OLED will start at $1,500. Okay, I'm not believing that. All right. Wait, wait, wait. And the. 12.9 inch will start at $1,800. Yeah, no. That's they might as well not the, make them at that price. <laughs> what is the iPad 11 inch? iPad Pro 11 inch right now is $1,000. What is it? Is it? Um, I can't keep it straight. No, the 11 inch iPad Pro right now starts at $799. And the 12.9 inch starts at $1,099. That's almost like a double double the price increase that's not gonna happen. yeah that's not gonna happen so i take back what i said i do not trust the elect on this rumor then later in 2024 quo says new ipad mini and a new base model ipad and the ipad 9 that currently sits in the lineup will be discontinued which is the final ipad with lightning i'm curious if the current ipad 10 will be slotted down in the lineup to maintain that ipad 9 price point or if we'll just get an 11th generation ipad that replaces both of those i think keeping the uh, the the ipad 10 around at a lower price is probably what i would expect would happen because the ipad 9 is what 329 or 349 but the ipad 10 is 450 so like, there's a big 100 yeah, yep. plus difference there still getting rid of the ipad 9 altogether and not putting something in that lower slot is probably off the table the ipad 9 is very popular for education very popular for you know entry-level customers um you know just general consumers there's a big price doubt if you cut it off entirely and start the lineup at 450 so i would imagine something sticks around but whatever sticks around will have USB-C rather than lightning forgot the ipad 9 still has a home button oh yeah it's got it's the, the old, forehead old, old and the gen yeah yeah so that's the only home button product Apple still sell. I, iPhone SE hasn't been updated yet. so. But we are expecting that to lose the home button the next yep. time it gets revised. Yeah. 
which is next year, potentially. potentially yeah. <laughs> the SE <laughs> is been... very murky. It's either next year or the year after. <laughs> it's not. It's still unclear. It's never the current year. It's never the current year, yeah. Um, but you can see how, like, you're going to have the base model iPad next year with the, quote, new design, as in no home button, right? Like, even though it's yeah, now an old yeah. design. You'll have the iPad Air, which has the bigger screens and has that same design. And then you'll have the iPad Pros that have OLED and a redesigned chassis, right? So they'll be more distinguished because they're going to have a next generation um, industrial design as well. The weird part of the iPad lineup is the iPad Mini because it just kind of sits there. It starts at $500. So it's... I don't I don't understand. I, I love the iPad Mini, but I don't think there are many people buying it. It definitely doesn't seem very popular. <laughs> But apparently popular enough to live on and not just get discontinued. It does feel like a product that should be more like 400 not 500 Especially without have, having like better... The screen is so bad. The screen is so bad. There have been rumors they are changing the orientation of the display controller yeah. for the next generation. So the jelly scrolling issue will be um, not as obvious in the orientation that you normally use the iPad in. So... At least that'll be fixed. But I don't think we're expecting like a big overhaul of the iPad Mini. It'll just be new chip and then minor screen changes. So that's the iPad lineup for next year. I think the the other rumor too is the Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro is getting redesigned in one way or another. I don't exactly know how. Oh yeah, German said it was going to aluminium, didn't he? It was going to have a metal metal casing, metal base. Yeah. I think is what he said, and a larger trackpad. So I'm interested to see that. I mean, they'll have to redesign it if the chassis of the iPad Pros are changing, right? So, And we still don't really know how the chassis are changing. It's just kind of been suggested that there's going to be a redesign. For a while, there was talk of like an all-glass back, and then that was kind of yeah. fading into the background. There's been chatter for a while about like some sort of equivalent to MagSafe wireless charging, but then those mm-hmm. kind of faded away. So yeah, we don't know for sure really yet. All we kind of are certain of is the OLED uh, screens, but... The design change is unclear. I mean, there's only so much you can do to redesign the iPad chassis because exactly. it's already yeah. so bare bones as it is, right? It's just like a rectangle. Uh, but they can mix it up a bit or whatever. And finally this week, the antitrust Department of Justice lawsuit with Google is still going on. It feels like it's been going on for like six months already, even <laughs> though I think it's like the second month of testimony. But this week, the notable detail from an Apple perspective... We finally have the number everybody's been wanting to know. Sort of. Sort, sort of. of. Uh, who was testifying? It was University of Chicago professor Kevin Murphy, who is apparently the main economics expert for Google in the trial. And he said that Google gives Apple a 36% cut of all the search ad revenue it generates through Safari... Presumably that's on iPhone, iPad, and Mac. And I feel like Kevin Murphy might not be the main economics expert for Google anymore <laughs> because in the in the Bloomberg story, they say that Google's main litigator visibly cringed when Murphy said that number because it was supposed to remain confidential. Yeah, he wasn't so supposed to say 36%. that. 36%. That's the number they've been trying. That share has been, they've been trying to keep that private as a sensitive business arrangement Um it's been redacted from the other documents and stuff. Uh, yeah. And when like the, when the, so this is the defense, right? This is the Google side of the testimony. When the prosecution, i.e. the government was doing their side last month, one of their um, like experts had to just speculate. They were like, it's between 
eight and 20 billion or something because they because google and apple had basically said we don't want the actual number to be disclosed uh, yeah and then here comes along mr murphy who was obviously giving his <laughs> impassioned argument but he just let slip the actual percentage so there you go and then they also said that google spent a total of 26.3 billion dollars in 2021 to be the default search engine that's across all of the different like special search deals that it has in place with people including apple and other companies then i missed this but recently the new york times reported that google's payment to apple in 2021 was 18 billion dollars which is unconfirmed right because that's just their reporting but that's what that's what they said yeah that's the reason i pulled that number is because unlike a lot of these estimates which are like analysts looking at search volume and google earnings and all of that this was based it sounds like on a source involved in the trial somehow so it's the most firm reported number that we've had on the payment from Google to Apple. Because you Yeah, and if you take a- the Google, the, the official twenty six point three billion for all payments to all providers, you know, you roughly halve it. That's probably about Apple's yeah. share. That's a, in the thirteen billion range. So eighteen billion doesn't sound ridiculous if you if you do that math. Because you were of the opinion for a while that it was on the lower side of all the estimates. I was but it sounds like it's actually higher. Maybe, which- yeah. $18 billion is a lot. $18 billion is a lot, yeah. That's higher than I thought it was going to be. So what the argument here is that by Google paying Apple to be the default search engine, there's basically no chance for competing search engines to actually grow and be competitive. Like that's the, there's a lot of aspects to this DOJ lawsuit against Google, but that, this particular thing, this particular deal with Apple is clearly what's at the heart of the case even though Apple's not named as a party in the lawsuit. Apple's annoyed that's in, that it's involved in the lawsuit. They're annoyed that Eddie Q had to testify. But for Apple, I mean, this, is gonna, this, this antitrust lawsuit could have pretty big ramifications for it. I mean, yeah, if that $18 billion is right, that's like one whole quarter of services revenue on its own. Yeah, right. Like They literally just reported a $20 billion services revenue quarter. And so you're basically saying in 2021, so the number might even be bigger now. Uh, that's one whole quarter service revenue in one deal uh, of search revenue share. Pretty mental, pretty mental. Uh, and I mean, if you're Eddie Q, the DOG would say, what incentive do you have to compete with Google to allow competition, to encourage right. Bing to succeed or to make your own search engine when you're collecting, you know, almost 20 billion annually for doing quote unquote nothing, right? Like they have the platform, but they don't really have to do much to support Google as a search engine. They just get a lot of money every single year. But then Google would say is, you know, we don't pay them for no reason. We pay them to be competitive, right? So, like, that's part of yeah. their counter-argument <laughs> is, uh, like, if we didn't pay them, other, um, you know, we would, our, our competitors would fight against us and, and Bing, for instance, would pay $18 billion a year instead, right? So, like, why can't we be the ones to pay it? <laughs> like, it's basically one of their <laughs> arguments. Uh, so, it's like... It's unclear where the, the the judge will come down on this, uh, but in all cases, like it's high stakes for the Apple deal because if it is proven unlawful, they will have to change the arrangement, which will essentially reduce the amount of money, right? Because it will presumably become less valuable if you have can only be one of four options on Google on Safari yeah. Search presented at install time because you know right now you can change from google they offer you options and apple presumably gets revenue share of every other option on that list as well 
but yeah. there's a premium for being the default and for being essentially the de facto default in the sense that when you set up the phone it doesn't ask you uh what the doj is mm. kind of bargaining for is a like ballot screen where it shows you the different options and you choose one and in that case it's unlikely that it's still gonna be worth 36 percent, right maybe it's only worth 25 percent, which is still a lot of money but it's quarter off you know a third off for the 18 billion that's five billion dollars lost essentially yeah um, and so far apple has not discussed it on like the investor call or anything like there was a question about it like um they're asking about search you know the search revenue deals uh, but it's kind of kept like off the books not not you know obviously it's no, <laughs> there's no dodgy dealing going on <laughs> but it's just itemized under services and not really detailed right and the one one of the analysts on the call asked them about it and Cook was like, well, we always have evolving relationships with our partners, blah, blah, blah. Like, so they, they basically demurred and didn't really comment on it specifically. But based on everything that's leaking out, there is going to be multi-billion dollar damage if the DOJ fans, fans against Google here. Multi-billion dollar damage to Apple, right? Yeah. yeah. Realistically, I don't think it'll be... It'll be multi-billion dollars, but it won't be tragic. It won't... Obviously, it's not going to put Apple under, but... They're still going to make some money from Google search on the iPhone. Yeah, it's not going from 18 billion to zero. Right. Yeah. You know, if you want to be like at rough, it could be roughly halved, you know, 18 billion to 9 billion. Well, 9 billion is a lot of money, but overall revenue for Apple is uh, on an annual basis, what, like 300 <laughs> somewhere in that range. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously it's, it stings and it would cut off services revenue growth for a while, uh, but it's not the end of the world. One of the things Eddie Q got pressed on during his testimony was that iPhone setup process where the judge or whoever asked him, why doesn't Apple just put the default search engine question in the iPhone setup process? And Eddie Q was like, well, we try to keep things as simple as possible. We want to get users up and running so they can start using their new phone. And the judge said, well, that's fine. But per your agreement with Google, is it, are you allowed to do that? And Eddie was like, no, we're not. <laughs> so that's clearly a point of contention between both the government and Apple and Google. But we're so far away from this thing wrapping up. It's going to, and whatever happens, I'm, there'll be appeals. And I think we'll start seeing Apple work to offset any potential loss ahead of time pretty soon. I mean, they just increased services prices like two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, services is diversified, right? Like you have App Store revenue. You have search revenue, you have content services. Right now, at least, it's heavily weighted on two of those things. <laughs> search revenue, app store revenue. <laughs> yeah. But content, their revenue from content services is growing. Um, and that's part of the strategy, right? It's like, they're probably going to lose some amount of billions on search revenue. They're probably going to move some amount of billions on app store revenue when all the government, you know, crack down on the monopoly, especially in Europe and stuff, which is coming to effect next year. If you're diversified, you, you're making money from other places. It's going to have an impact, but... Apple will hope they'll hope that they can grow through it and increasing revenue sources from TV plus music, et cetera, will offset some of the difference. I think that's all for this week. I, next week for the holiday, we're going to be doing some ask nine to five Mac questions. So if you have those, you can tweet them at us, thread them at us, Mastodon them at us, or email us happy hour at nine to five Mac.com. We're also on Apple podcasts where you can subscribe, leave us a rating and a review and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. I'm on Threads, Twitter, Mastodon, 
at Chance H. Miller and Mayo. What about you? BZA Mayo on the same place. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.